Welcome to Day 4 of Radio Lumi, the audio-only component of Luminato Festival Toronto's October programming. My name is Christine Malik, and I'm joined this evening by audio describer J.J. Hunt. First, we'd like to give a huge thank you to David W. Bennett, whose um, sponsorship has made Radio Lumi possible. And it's Radio Lumi's been so great for us as the the creators and the producers and for the listeners as well. So such a big thank you for that. I also want to invite each and every one of you to visit the Luminato website because for every speck of content you you hear on Radio Lumi, there's so much more. There's um, lots of deeper content that that we just don't have time for. So www.luminato.com. There's tons of resources there. And under the Access Hub and Radio Lumi, you can also find podcasts as we go the a, a few days after each day of Radio Lumi, we have podcast versions available of the great work that we're doing. You know, it's really good that no one's asked me so far which of the Radio Lumi events has been my favorite because it would be really hard to do that. I have to say, though, that tonight's programming is some of the most exciting for me personally. Tonight, we're going to hear a described version of Encountering Edward Bratinsky's In the Wake of Progress, a film by Bokeh Film Collective, starting at 8 p.m. EST. The film will be situated and contextualized in some fantastic ways. JJ has produced image descriptions of photos in the film that are breathtaking and haunting. You can visit www.luminato.com to listen to JJ's full gallery of Bertinsky's image descriptions. And this would uh, this will help orient your experience of the film because we make some verbal connections between photographs, image descriptions in in the film. There are certain sort of sticky words that we that JJ has used uh, to identify uh, as the film goes. These images have been paired with Phil Strong's powerful musical composition for an immersive experience that's pretty unforgettable. Immediately following the film, you'll get to hear Edward Bertinsky's own voice reflecting on his 40-year career in conversation with a young climate activist. And to set this all up, starting soon at 7.10, you'll hear an interview I was privileged to conduct with Mr. Bertinsky. It's not often a blind person gets to sit down with a celebrated and internationally renowned photographer and just ask questions, anything I wanted to know that was not clear to me as a blind person for whom, you know, photography is uh, a bit of a closed book sometimes. And I'll just say it, it was a real festival highlight for me um, personally and professionally. Capping off the night at 9pm is our nightly music series guided by Starlight. Tonight's episode is entitled A Reverberation of Tongues, a testimonial to the echoes of language and blood that are at the root of Toronto's Latin and Afro and Latinx community, featuring the talents of Bruno Kapanen, Deopia, and Conan. But we begin with Bertinsky. Now, 
JJ, you were no stranger to Bertinsky's work before uh, we started talking about it from a description point of view. What were your impressions simply as a thoughtful human being encountering his photos? Yeah, I've been, I've been aware of uh, Edward Bertinsky and his photographs for some time now. I, I went to his uh, Anthropocene exhibition at the AGO in 2018, and uh, I was actually there with my kids and my young nephew, and uh, I was just so blown away by it. And it, it was really interesting to, uh, to see the kids' reaction to it as well. Uh, I remember that the, the scale of the photos was really perplexing to them. They had a hard time understanding the point of view because in, in some of uh, Edward Bertinsky's photos, you're so far back. The, the point of view is from so far back that it can actually take a, a, take a bit to, to get a handle on what exactly it is that you're looking at. And so even when I would point out some of the details that I would think I thought would help ground the kids like a rooftop or what looked like a tiny excavator or something like that. It was truly, it was just too difficult for their little brains to understand. But I was so taken with these, these large scale prints. I, I, I really enjoyed exploring all the details in these photos. And, and I remember quite clearly scanning the gallery space, taking in multiple landscapes at a time. And you know, I, I find his, examination of, of human influence and impact on the planet. I find it quite mesmerizing. Uh, Edward Bertinsky takes us to places that we don't often have access to, either because the access is literally restricted, like with uh, sh ship breaking yards or with factories, or because the effort required to get these perspectives is just so great, very few people make the trip. So, you know, the, the visual ex evidence of our impact that, that, that appears in these photos is, uh, is awful, right? But Edward Bertinsky manages to capture these scenes in a way that I haven't really encountered before. My reaction to his photos is kind of complicated because the photos are both, you know, absolutely incriminating and yet stunningly beautiful. But I, I have to say, even though I've seen you know, large scale Bertinsky prints in galleries like at the AGO, truly nothing quite prepared me for the, the scale of the uh, installation in the wake of progress at Young Dudna Square. That was just uh, on, on a whole other level. It was quite, quite stunning. I'm really interested in that paradox of um, what you just described of it's incriminating to us but it's also mesmerizing just because of his skill as a photographer and what you're what you're seeing and i this is something that comes out i think in the conversation he has with uh with ali the the young young lady the climate activist because edward bertinsky declines to identify himself as an activist because although he's deeply concerned if he does that it sets him in a particular place on the on the in the social conversation in the public sphere and it potentially limits his access to the kinds of places that he's been able to photograph. And that access is, yeah, his work has so much paradoxical meaning in it. And that's one of the um, one of the things that I find so interesting about it. Um, his photographs are about how humans interact with the natural world. Lots of other people are interested in depicting that relationship too. Um, could we talk a bit about representations of the natural world by others? And I'm thinking of everything from environmental groups to oil companies. JJ, is there any way to kind of encapsulate some of that stuff to contextualize Bertinsky's work? 
it's it's interesting, you know, sighted folks are constantly being shown images in in newspapers, in magazines, on TV, from you know, environmental organizations or industry groups, images that relate, as you say, to this relationship that humans have with our planet or our impact on the planet or, you know, uh, images that might fall under the very broad category of progress, for example. And so I, I do want to be careful not to make unfair blanket statements when talking about these kinds of photos in general. And I certainly don't want to pretend that I'm a, I'm a cultural critic who has a learned assessment of these things. I'm just a describer. But I'm, I'm, I agree that there's real value in getting a sense of the kinds of day-to-day -day images that sighted folks have access to just to help us contextualize what is often a very visual conversation. So before we went on air, I, I did some Google image searching, which is something I often do. And, and I looked up things like progress and pollution, factories, human impact, housing. I just entered phrases like that into Google images. And the way the results are laid out on Google images is they're presented in a grid of thumbnail pictures. And under each thumbnail picture, there's a title or maybe part of a title if it's a long one. And then under that, is the name of the website that that image comes from. And what I thought was really interesting was that just based on a quick glance of the images that popped up in these searches, I could almost always tell what the article or website or sources take on the subject would be. I could tell if they were for or if they were against. I could almost <laughs> always tell the politics because a lot of agenda-driven images deal in tropes. And we're presented with an awful lot of agenda-driven images. So sighted folks have plenty of opportunity to, to memorize the tropes and kind of learn the visual shorthand. So, for example, I did a Google image search of uh, forestry. I typed in forestry, and suddenly my screen was awash in green. Lots of lush forests and forest trails and beams of sunlight shining down through leafy green canopies and dappled sunlight on the forest floor. And when there were stacks of cut logs, because this was an image search for forestry, the stacks of cut logs were neat and tidy, and they were usually still in the woods, so surrounded by growing trees. Oh. And when there were forestry mm -hmm. workers, they had hard hats on and safety vests. There was some machinery, so some moving of logs, but very few chainsaws in these pictures or very few images of trees actually being logged down, like felled, taken down. So then I changed the search word from forestry to deforestation. Oh. So the idea being to kind of like, look at this image or this idea of cutting down trees from opposite viewpoints. And no surprise, the images changed dramatically. So suddenly my screen went from being green to filled with browns and grays, tree stumps and strips of bark and dry branches littering the ground and, and woods that would abruptly end in sharp lines bordered by barren brown fields. And, you know, if, if you trust these photos, the sun never shines on clear cut land because <gasps> oh! none of these photos have blue skies, right? They're all gray skies. Oh, this is really interesting. That is you know? very interesting. Yeah. It, yeah. I think it's fair to say that given the kinds of conversations that are being had about the environment and the future and the economy and what's going on next and the way that images are now a key part of these conversations on social media, on TV, on websites and in the links that we share with each other, you know, sighted people are constantly being presented with images of 
our relationship with the planet or our impact on the world. And so when you walk into an Edward Bertinsky exhibition or you tune in to Encountering in the Wake of Progress, sighted people have a visual baseline. And of course, this is something that Edward Bertinsky is acutely aware of. Mm -hmm. Like you say, he's got to, he has to make sure he positions himself in a certain way so that he's, you know, he can kind of steer clear of this environmentalist label and whatnot. And so even though Edward Bertinsky's showing us specific landscapes and things that we rarely see from a, a macro vantage point that very few people have access to and at a scale and with an artistry that's, you know, incredibly rare, sighted folks do already have some visual context. And I think that's one of the many reasons I'm really glad we have this opportunity to, to contextualize for those who don't interpret the world visually. I'm really interested in that idea of lighting, like taking it to that level. And this is not a question that occurred to me to ever consider with Bertinsky's images, but does he play with that at all? What is the sky in the background? All of many of his images are outdoor. What, what's the skies that you see? Oh, that's interesting. And in, in a lot of uh, um, uh, his images, you are so high up and looking straight down, you don't get a lot of the ah, sky right, because you're looking right. straight down. You do get the effect of the light because you're still having sunlight come in, but you're not so much getting the sky or getting light uh, coming in through trees. There aren't as many images in this collection anyway that have um, that have a skyline with, a, you know, with full sky in the background. There are some, but uh, I wouldn't say it's a major part of, uh, uh, of a lot of these works, which are aerial and looking straight down at the ground below. That is so interesting. I wonder if that's strategic, because that is an element that I imagine would have a big uh, impact as a sky gray. It never, it never, sun never shines on a clear cut forest. I'll never, <laughs> thank you for that. That's, uh, that's, uh, that's very impactful. And I'm thinking about, um, it, JJ and I co-host a podcast called Talk Description to Me, in which we describe the visuals uh, of current events in the world around us. And our episode today was about energy infrastructure. And if I may uh, quote you, JJ, we were talking about wind farms and windmills and, and wind energy. And so if you look at General Electric's We're All Green and Happy page, the, the wind turbines JJ described are lovely. They're sort of dotted in a rural landscape and they look maybe like they grew there. Whereas um, people who aren't so interested in, in wind power, they'll show you a wind farm, which is just row, 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 tons of, of you know, a grid pattern of um, of wind turbines. So agenda and intention are, uh, yep, they're important everywhere. Um, the film uh, that we're going to, to hear audio described tonight includes people looking at the images on billboards. Now, billboards are completely out of my daily experience as a blind person, but I know they're pervasive. And so, JJ, can you give us some context on on this as well? So, for example, where they normally are, what they normally do, and how people typically interact with them? Yeah, you know, it's, it's impossible to overstate just how ubiquitous billboards are in urban areas. Billboards and other image-based ads are everywhere. And I truly mean everywhere. They're on streetcars, they're on buildings, they're above buildings. Cars are wrapped in ads, transport trucks are covered in ads. They're on storefronts, they're on store windows, they're along highways, on main streets, on neighborhood bus stops. And then there are the video billboards. So on downtown streets, you might have video billboards, of course, all around Young Dundas Square, bill video billboards along highways and bus shelters. 
And, you know, I would suggest that the advertising screens that are in elevators and dentist's offices and convenience stores and banks and fast food restaurants, all of those are versions of video billboards too. Visual ads are everywhere. They're posted over urinals. They're on bathroom stall doors. There's a neighborhood diner that I go to. They started selling ad space on their tables. They have stickers what? from other neighborhood businesses oh on their tables. There are, there are airlines that actually started putting ads on their in-flight barf bags. There are stickers oh. on bananas <laughs> that advertise Disney movies. We are saturated. The I'm modern so world, I'm they're so everywhere. Oh and, and it's amazing because this has a real impact on, on sighted people who grow up in these environments. You know, I remember so clearly I was walking downtown with my then eight-year-old and they pointed at a bus shelter ad of a woman in a bra. And my eight-year-old said, I know her. And I laughed. I thought it was kind of funny. And my kid took offense and, and said, no, no, no. I know her. She's outside my classroom. And it turned out <gasps> that from my eight-year-old's table in their third-story classroom, you could look out the window and see a billboard on a street down the hill. And so for months, they'd been peering out the window over the tops <gasps> oh of the schoolyard God. trees to this billboard of this very lingerie model. And Whoa. so having seen her every day from the safety of their classroom, they not only recognized her in an abstract way, they felt like they knew oh. her. Oh. Like this is how integrated into sighted people's lives these billboards are. They're everywhere. I, I read some statistics that uh, Americans apparently are subjected to 4,000 to 10,000 ads every single day. Ow. It's it's just an incredible number of ads. And, you know, they take up a shocking amount of visual real estate. If you live in a city, if you're walking downtown and you scan any given direction, you, a, a fair amount of your just, you know, your visual space is going to be advertisements. So I have to say, seeing Edward Bertinsky's photos, which have so much to say about the ramifications of, of resource extraction and waste, so that we can make all of this stuff to sell to one another, to see those pictures take over the screens that fuel that consumerism. It was fantastically subversive. I really enjoyed that. Oh but I guess I'm really curious now because, you know, when you say that uh, billboards are not part of your daily experience, intellectually, that makes complete sense to me. But genuinely does that mean you have no relationships with billboards at all with visual ads at all are they are they totally yeah. absent from your life yeah totally and it's actually one of the things that i've heard side of people say oh i mean this is you know tactless and strange thing to say but people say things and people have said to me oh you're lucky you you don't have to look at all of this visual clutter and all of this terrible advertising and women being objectified up on billboards and so it's 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 a complex and sort of true thing that as someone who's not sighted that's a completely closed and i'm exhausted honestly just hearing about that and so how do you know what to look at like yeah. <laughs> i don't know how you know what to look at or when to stop filtering things out it's it's difficult you know i i've there have been times in my life where I'm deciding I'm going to do like little protests. I'm going to stop looking at this, or if an ad comes on, I'm going to skip it. Or and and sometimes you can, but you can't skip four thousand to ten thousand ads a day. Like they're just there everywhere. I you know I if 
any sighted person looks in their environment, whatever room they're sitting in at any given point, and you say, look around the room and actually point out everything in your kitchen that's an ad, there'll be dozens. <gasps> and you haven't even picked up your phone yet. You haven't oh, turned on your computer. Your computers are constantly, they're visual ads, banner ads, they're pop-up ads. Visual ads are everywhere. It's a huge part of a, of a, of a sighted person's life. And I'm, you know, I, I got to agree that it, it's not, it's not for the best. It's, it does, it's not yeah. a big life improvement, you know? And so when, when these images get flashed up on big screens at Young Dundas Square, it's, uh, it, it, yeah, my mind kind of boggles. So what do people, what do people do with that? And that's something that um, we're, we're going to be talking about later uh, in the evening. Um, JJ, just very quickly, you and I have both worked a lot on with accessibility in the arts. What about Luminato and Radio Lumi has been a new thing for you? Uh, you know, I've really appreciated the approach um, that, that Luminato has taken with accessibility. I'm often invited into a project to meet a specific goal. So someone will ask, can you describe these images for us? Or can you describe this movie? But the ask that I got from Luminato was quite different. It was, can you help make this accessible to a blind and low vision audience? And that's a fundamentally different question because the follow-up is how? Like, what's the best way to make this accessible? And it wasn't just a question that was posed to a single describer. This was a question that was being considered by a team of description users and creators and producers. And so as a result, we've got this disability-led pop-up radio station with hours and hours of original audio-only content. And, and the community doesn't just get to hear a film like Bokeh Collective's Encountering Edward Bertinsky's In the Wake of Progress with standard audio description. Instead, they get to hear a conversation between Edward Bertinsky and you, a cultural curator and a member of the community. And they get to have visual descriptions of key images from the film, and they can listen to them in advance of the film being aired. And those descriptions are backed by sections of the film's soundtrack that link to specific moments in the film itself to, to help a listener get a bit of recall when they're absorbing the final film. And then finally, when the film is aired with open audio description, that description also is created to allow breathing room for the all-important soundtrack. And all of that is only possible because of the contextual information that was provided in advance. So, I mean, the difference between can you describe this film and what we've gotten to do for these projects with Luminato, is, it's night and day. And I got to say, as you know, I, I'm going to continue doing standard audio description when anyone asks, but I'm, I'm definitely going to be advocating for this more holistic, creative and collaborative approach in the future, for sure. That's how I feel too. It's matter. It's an issue of scope. So the scope of what, what's been happening on Radio Lumi is, is, uh, and the scale is what's been so, so excellent for, uh, for me and it's disability guided. So the, the advisory has been uh, populated by people with with differing abilities, and that's been an opportunity to grow the the offerings from the ground up. And so, if you visit the Luminato website www.luminato.com, look for the Access Accessibility Hub and Radio Lumi. You'll see, and other than Radio Lumi, you'll see some excellent material with lots of uh, contributions from Def Bramble from the Crip Collab. And and really, really broad thinking. Uh, 
In a moment, we're going to hear from Luminato CEO Celia Smith and board member Maxine Bailey as they share their welcome to today's special presentation. When we return after that... Worth noting, Bertinsky from a blind perspective, a slower look. And so again, we want to say a huge thank you to David W. Binet for uh, the support that has made Radio Lumi possible. And we want to encourage you all to visit the website because there's just so much there. And keep listening later tonight for Guided by Starlight. And tomorrow, there's 12 hours of Radio Lumi broadcasting. Amazing stuff. So we start with Misha's Brunch and uh, then Henry G20. Lots of artist spotlights, lots of interviews, and a ton of content. And so stay tuned also for the Latin content, the Afro-Cuban content later. Thank you so much for joining us on Radio Lumi and keep listening. 